Thoth Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. friends and listeners, and welcome to episode number 13 of our season 7 in the Thought Hermes podcast. Today is Sunday, November 21st, and my name is Rudolf. I am, as always, your host, talking to you from the outskirts of Austria's lovely city of Vienna. I hope you're all doing well. It's still troubled times, very especially in my country, but I think a bit all over the world. And I hope you're all healthy and safe those days. Uh, my, my guest here on this show today, on episode 13, is somebody very special. Jason Reed from the UK, but we are going to talk about the subject that is, well less something that you'd expect on this show probably because we're talking about Chinese magic and that's also the subtitle of our episode today. Well, be surprised what it will be and uh, I'll tell you a little bit more in the next uh, few minutes once we have listened to our first piece of music. But uh, before we do that, I would like to welcome everyone of you here on this podcast, those of you who are returning customers, so to speak, who have been with us for quite some time or just recently. And uh, as always, a special welcome to those of you who are new to the show. I hope you'll enjoy it. And if you find interest, um, well, do return. That's the first thing I'd ask you. And secondly, please do uh, uh, also go to the website and look it up there. Um, uh, because on thoughthermes.com, that's T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com, you're going to find a number of episodes, over 100 by now. All the episodes that we have produced so far, you can listen to all of them. You'll find very interesting stuff there. Many highly interesting people, quite a who's who of the occult world. It has become, I must say, I'm a little bit, little bit proud of that. And, um, well, of course, there are still so many people who we have not on the show yet, and we continue doing our best to get them all here. Right. So if you are on the website, why not also leave me a message there? And not only the newcomers, but all of you who are interested to leave me a message, go on the website and choose the contact form there or use the voicemail option that you have there. Or just simply send me an email, info at thoughtsharmies.com. That's very easy, too. Twitter and Facebook work as well, of course. And you know what's coming? Yes, while you're there, become a patron. Thanks to those two of you who have joined the little but exquisite group of patrons of this show last week. And I'll hope, well, if we continue like that each week, two or three new patrons, that would be great. Well, honestly, we need your support. It's important for us because that's how we can continue to do this podcast. Um, and uh, I hope that some of you will, again, this coming week, 
become members of our Patreon group. You find the access on Patreon directly, of course, through Thought Hermes podcast, if you search for that, or TH podcast, if you want to go the short way. And um, if it's the easiest way you're looking for, then you go on the website and you just look for that Patreon button. By the way, there's also a donate button, which is a forum one-off payment if you prefer that. So thanks for that. Um, it's like some of my colleagues say, maybe you'll pay me for a coffee. Would be nice. Thank you. Right. Well, you know what's coming. Music. Yes. And hey, well, you're going to tell me I don't know geography. I do know geography. Um, but while we are in the Far East um, and uh, present you Chinese magic uh, in a few moments, today the music that I am presenting to you comes from Japan. Yes. Um, and the band that's going to be our guest today. This time it's not our visitors, not, not uh, listeners to our show, at least not that I knew of. Um, the band is called Iguzizuto Toreisu. I'm sure I pronounced that completely wrong. Iguzizuto Toreisu, but in English that's transliterated, translated as Exist Trace. It's a Visual K rock band from Japan, as I said. They are entirely uh, made up of female members and they all come originally from Tokyo and they have created their band, uh, I believe it was in 2003, have released, uh, well, uh, a number four albums uh, so far and um, only EPs lately. I don't know if they are uh, still um, re really very active. I just don't know, to be honest. And I think they, uh, they ceased activities from what I know. But... Once again, I'm not, I'm not sure. In any case, it's a very interesting rock band. I would call it, hmm, it's, it's kind of death metal, melodic death metal. I think that's what you can call it. And um, I hope you're going to like this. We're going to hear three tracks by them, of course, as always. The first being now um, from their EP. All three are from their EP which goes by the name of The Last Daybreak, which was released 10 years ago, back in October 2011. And, well, now you have to bear again with my non-existing Japanese. I have no idea if I pronounced that correctly. Um, the other two titles are in English. So the first is Yuu Sangatsu no Shikisai. If somebody knows what exactly the translation of that would be, Yuu Sangatsu no Shikisai. Do let us know. I'll be happy. But it's from The Last Daybreak from their mini-album released back in 2011. And the group is called... You remember? But well, come on. Iguzi Zuto Toreisu. Exist Trace. Enjoy. <laughs>
Sangatsu no Shikisai from The Last Daybreak by that group, that great uh, Japanese female rock group, Exist Trace. Right, now let's go from Japan to China, Chinese magic. And if you look on the title of this show, the subtitle, the magic is spelled with C, but I added a K in brackets. You will find out in the following interview with Jason Reed why. Jason is a fascinating personality. I really discovered that and I have to pay tribute to someone here now. Mork Morgan. Mork, who was my guest uh, well, a couple of months ago. It was the last episode of the previous season six. And um, he introduced me to Jason. You know that Mork, he is a editor. He is the chief editor CEO of Mandrake of Oxford, a great, great publishing house. Do have a look there. An independent publishing house that does great work. And um, well, he is a talent finder. He is really great, uh, Mark. And so I asked him, Mark, do you have someone in mind I should have on this show? Because I always like to introduce people who are a bit lesser known. I like to have people who are really famous. And so he said, yes, you have to have a look at Jason, Jason Reed. And I did. And uh, I thank Mock for that. And I hope you will thank him in an hour as well. I will read you a tale, a tale from a small book called Fox Magic by Jason Reed. The subtitle of that book is Handbook of Chinese Witchcraft and Alchemy in the Fox Tradition. Yeah, there is that Fox Tradition. And if we played Japanese music for that show, we are not completely off track because that fox magic extended also from China to, um, to Japan at some point. But that's another matter that you will find out when you read that book, Fox Magic. In You find that in Mandrake of Oxford. It's by Jason Reed, our guest today. I will read you that little tale called The Spell of the Fox before we go to meet Jason. There was once a great physician named Dong Xiaxi. One day he returned home somewhat inebriated and saw with some alarm that his bedroom door was ajar. Opening it, he saw one of the most beautiful women he had ever seen, lying there on his bed asleep. He went to the bed and passing his hand under the cover began to caress the contours of her lithe body. The skin was soft and in his fervor, he let his hands pass down to her lower regions, passing over the curve of her lower back and her shapely rear. Suddenly, he bumped into something strange. It was a bushy fox's tail. In horror, he drew back when all of a sudden the girl grasped his wrist. Don't kill me, Miss Fairy, he cried. The girl feigned shock and surprise. What is it about my body that makes you think this thing, dear sir, she said. Well, I felt your tail, of course. She giggled almost coquettishly. Of course, I haven't got a tail. I just think you have been at the wine and the hour is late. She grabbed his hand and let it pass over her body again. And indeed, this time there was no tail. Not being able to resist the sheer eroticism of the girl, he soon found himself plunging into her well. As the months went by and her visits to his bed increased, Dong began to visibly waste away. He grew thin and haggard. 
He was forced to see a physician who told him frankly that he was bewitched. Even when he resisted the fox maiden, the dreams of her were so intense that he ejaculated and soon he was coughing up blood. Soon after this, Dong died. The fox maiden turned her attention to his friend, a certain Mr. Wang. He slept with her and also began having strange erotic dreams about the beautiful ethereal girl. Soon he too began to waste away and become haggard. However, his wife noticed and warned him that his new mistress was in fact a fox and that she being a yin spirit was extracting his yang essence to lengthen her life, increase her magic and beauty. She advised him to burn some sandalwood. That night, when the fox maiden entered the bedroom smelling the incense, she was immediately disturbed and began to complain. Right, well, if you want to know more, I think it's a highly interesting story and shows also that bridge between the East and the West we are going to be talking about in a moment with my guest Jason Reed and without further ado let's join him in the UK Jason Reed here comes the interview Today, I welcome on the Sorceress podcast, Jason Reed from the United Kingdom. And to those of you listeners who have listened very recently to episode number 11, I had a lady from Malaysia, Chinese background in Malaysia, who lives in Melbourne in, the Austra in Australia. And we were talking about traditional astrology. So uh, somebody from an Eastern tradition with also a deep background in Eastern astrology, actually Chinese astrology, but who has now completely turned her eye on the Western, not only Western, but the traditional Western astrology. And today, somehow, we go the opposite direction because we are meeting here with Jason Reed, Jason who lives in the middle of the United Kingdom and um, who uh, has written two books recently. He'll talk more about those small books because they are just part of a bigger project, which are called Thunder Magic and Fox Magic. And of course, when you read those titles without any background knowledge, you think, hmm, that sounds like the typical British, maybe witchcrafty uh, um, um, background magic. But when you look already at the cover and then open the book, you find out it's a handbook of Chinese witchcraft, alchemy and magic. And so I say a really great welcome to Jason here tonight, because I'm sure we're going to have a very interesting discussion in that direction going from the West to China. Hello, Jason. Oh, hi, and thank you very much for inviting me here. <laughs> right. Well, it's a great pleasure. It's a great pleasure. And um, really, I was very interested to discover those two booklets. And I may see a manuscript from a future book that you were kind enough to let me read. Uh, and um, so I could prepare for this talk. So, Jason, uh, maybe before we start with the, with the topic itself, uh, you want to give us some personal background as far as you wish, of course, why you got interested into 
Chinese okay. um, work uh, and also how it all started for you that, that you became involved in that? Sure, no problem. Um, as you probably know, a lot of us magical types, we start with the interest at a very young age, you know, through personal experiences, you know, um, obviously I'm in that category. Um, now, when I first started looking into these things, it was the usual path you know, um, down to the local bookstore to buy Dion Fortune, that sort of thing. And, you know, flicking through the pages of psychic self-defense. Mm. Um, and so that kind of led me onto the path of um, a serious study of Western magic, which I did for many years. Um, did you go a particular path in the Western magic or uh, general? Right. I start, I start, right, let's put this in context. I started off with the usual thing. I say the usual, you know, Golden Dawn, um, mm. and you know, it's like it's, it's like a gateway drug, really, into sort of like um, Crowleyism and that sort of thing. So I studied Crowley as well. Um, I've, I was also the I've also was a member of a, a well-known caliphate organization. Okay, yes, I think we know who we're talking about. Yes, <laughs> right. Um, I'm no longer a member now, um, not because of any bad blood, but because it's just not for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I studied Th uh, Thelema for quite a long time, um, and all that goes with it, astrology and all the rest of it. And, and then I kind of had a, a bit of a... I think, you know, I, I was studying Crowley and everything, and I thought, well, this is not for me either. Okay. Um, and then I went back to what I would call roots magic, back to the grimoires, um, back to the original writers like um, Cornelius Agrippa, and that led me down the Neoplatonic path mm -hmm. to study what I would call, um, you know, the more original magic before all the changes. But saying that, I was looking, I was reading um, Kenneth Grant, you know, he's really out there, obviously. Sure. Um, there, were, there were references to um, Chinese magic. And for some, for some reason, it really attracted me into um, finding out more about this. And there was um, another interesting aspect of this was that um, Crowley was asked once, I forget, I, I forgot who asked him this, that if he could relive his magic again, what would he do? And he said he would study the I Ching. Oh, right. Yes, I, I've heard that. I don't remember who asked right. him that, but I have heard that sentence, yes. So I kind of, I felt that I should really go into this. Um, and that led me to make a decision to leave England and leave my job behind at the time and actually go and travel and live in Asia, learn the language, um, which I did. Um, so I speak fluent Chinese. So ni hao to anyone, any Chinese listeners out there. I'm sure there are some, I must say. Right. Um, and I kind of, uh, I was working in China. I'm in the, I'm in the legal profession, um, hence the clipped English voice. Right. Um, 
And so um, I was was working out there and studying at the same time Chinese language. And then I started to look for occultism in China, which wasn't a good idea at the time, because actually um, occultism in China is illegal. You can be put in prison for it. So you you lived in mainland China at the time. I did at first, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lived in mainland China, uh, picked up the language, um, the food, all that kind of thing. It was a, it was a, um, and then started to go to the different temples, you mm-hmm. know, to see what I could find. And I, I did the usual uh, temple visits. I went to Wu Dang. Um, and um, even the Shaolin Temple you might have heard of. Sure. Um, but there was something missing. There, It wasn't there either. They have a kind of, um, to explain Chinese history, you have um, Mao Zedong, and to, he waged an intellectual war against what he decided was superstition. And um, he pretty much banished most of what we would recognize as Taoism um, now. Um, and they've got a kind of um, a kind of communist version of it, a cleaned up version, which mm-hmm. is um, without any of the magical elements. Kind of like what's happened to Christianity in, in a sense. Right. I was going to, uh, may I just interject two little questions here? Because uh, yeah. you said occultism, it was forbidden and therefore also dangerous to practice it. And that reminds me, as you say, of medieval uh, uh, Europe yeah. in a way. Um, so it's for ideological reasons and because it was seen as something from the past or because it was seen as something dangerous because it's linked to a world that cannot be managed by yeah. rationality. Um, I, think, I think both. Mm. Um, yeah, right. So you've got the ideological reason, reasons, and the fact that, well, this could this could work, and also because of Chinese history, Taoism um, and Buddhism both uh, have um, formed the nucleus for rebellion in China in the past. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's always that threat. Um, so from China I went to Malaysia and that's where I found out that's where I found what I was looking for mm-hmm. um, I married while I was there a Chinese girl um, right it was still my wife and um, and that's um, when I met my first teacher um, and now this might sound strange but in in the east it takes a, a long time to um, get in, put your get your foot in the door. Like in the West, we're very used to like um, you know search on the internet and or buy books. You know, Israel Regardia or something in a bookshop. But it's not really like that in Asia. So you have to make a conscientious effort to try and you know find these things, um, which isn't. And there are lots of fake masters, and you know people charging you huge amounts of money to learn this one spell. You know, it's got a very commercial element to it, um, which I suppose it has here as well in the West. You know, but it does. But maybe it's easier to discover people than yeah. nowadays with the internet and and just yeah, exactly. So I did find a teacher in the, in the end anyway, Dr. Liang. Um, he was of the Mao Shan school. 
um, which is right. uh, a particular tradition. Um, and I began a 12-year apprenticeship in uh, the study of um, Chinese esotericism. And that's so re you really dug in deep in, into all that matter. It's, yeah. Yes, uh, because you know um, I did learn a lot from Western magic, and then it's always, and it was it's not incompatible. You know, it it gave me certain you know um, abilities in like visualization and breathing. You know, a lot of the factors which you would recognize were in there too, mm. as well as. Uh, a value for the um, power and depth of symbolism, how profound that can be, you know, on human consciousness. Well, well that's a subject I would like to go more in-depth with you, either now or a bit later, whatever you prefer. But of um, course, of course, this this podcast here will my listeners and are used to listen mostly to Western traditions and their right. and their and their extensions. Uh, also, I myself, that's my speciality. I don't know enough about Eastern that I would like to do sure. a, a podcast on that. But what fascinates me about you is that also not only your deep knowledge, but that bridge that you seem to build also in your books uh, between yeah. between those two traditions if i may say it like that maybe you yes. have a better word and um what or how do they have things in common maybe not what do they have in common i think we all believe that in the end all gets to one point but um, exactly uh, um, how do does it express itself that common path right so this is a very profound question okay um, it's a question which you can answer why all systems link together in the end. Really, we're going to have to look at the nature of A, human consciousness, and B, the universe itself. Exactly. Right. If there is a difference, that is. You know, which is also an argument of Taoism and Western magic, right? Yeah. And hermeticism. As above, so below. Absolutely. And a very, a very deep-reaching question, in fact. Yeah. Yes. So, the fundamental question is, is how do we access this oneness between man and universe? Or as we would say in Taoism, between man, earth and heaven. The three powers that we call them, the, the San Tsai, which is like the three powers. It's exactly the same idea as the, you know, um, we're more or less exactly the same idea as in the Hermetica, you know, first chapter. Poimanders. Yes, sure. So, so we're looking at how, how do we access that and become and unfold our full, full potential. And that is the key um, to all systems. Now, where people slip up, in my opinion, is that they get, um, they get, um, it's, the, it's the system symbology itself which is the falling off point. So let's say we'll use, uh, let's say the universe is, a, you know, we, I want to access information that, from the universe. I have a computer. Now, if I use Linux or Linux, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I'm not really a tech guy. Or I use Microsoft. Okay, some of the symbolism's different, some of the coding's different, mm -hmm. but it has the same 
access to that reality. And that is how I feel that um, all systems have their own user interface to the universe. Um, okay, some of, the, some of the pictures look different. You know, we, we might ring some symbols and you ring some bells. Uh, it does the same thing. <laughs> and both systems have their preachers and have their uh, followers and who would never take right. the other system. Just like it's a very nice image that you're using here, because right. uh, even if it's a very profane image, it's very it's it's very clear what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And that's what and that's what Taoist and Hermetic Syndrome has always done, taking profane imagery, um, uh, analogy mm. and applied it. Yeah. Right. So, um, so this is one. This is one way of looking at it, you know. Because, um, so the problem. The, the problem is, is that we we differentiate between east and west, and I don't see much of a difference except for the symbolism used. It's as simple as that. Even the philosophy is more or less the same. But at the, on the other hand, you said earlier that when you were still in the west, that you are interested in all those kinds of ceremonial magic, etc., etc. Yes. And then something was missing. And when you turned to the East and even went there for, and if I got you right, the decision right. was basically not a professional one, but a, a more personal one and the profession came with it. Um, then, so there must have been something in there that you would not have found here, which you could find there. Yeah, right. So I feel this is just um, a part of my personal journey. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's missing for me, but not for other people. Right. Okay. So I don't think there's anything inherently missing in Western systems at all. Okay. But there was something missing that's not gelling for me fully. Right. Mm -hmm. That's it, really. Right. Can you, do you want to, and can you put a finger on what that is? Uh, it's, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. um, okay, I'm, I'm the kind of person that likes to um, fall in love with something. And, right. you know, be, I guess it's the Eros part of... Um, And that wasn't happening for me with the Western magic. Where some of my friends, and I still have many Western magic friends, okay, who get wonderful results. I mean, actual results. I'm, I wasn't getting those. Um, maybe it's something in my destiny to use a, uh, yeah. you know, it sounds a bit Jedi, but, you know. <laughs> no, 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 like, sure. But, yeah. you know, something in my destiny, in my personal um, fate, if you like, where I had to go to the East, I had to find these things and bring it to the West. And um, do you feel, and I don't think that sounds Jedi at all, um, do you feel like being a kind of a, a personal bridge between those two worlds somehow, or uh, is that not the right image I use here? Well, I would like to think so. Um, mm. Right. Um, but I don't want to take on that, you know, such a massive role, you know, so... You, you didn't um, say it, I said... I, I don't want to sound... Free. Uh, yeah, I don't want to sound sort of like 
arrogant, you know, like some. No, no, sure. Way, no. Right? Uh, Jason, and, if I may say that you don't sound arrogant in anything you say at all. Okay, you, you, it's very, you, I feel a very nice approach that you have to those things. Good. Right. The, the other thing is, is that Taoism has been in the West for a long time. Okay. Um, so, but it's only what I would call is a very small segment of Taoism. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and when I say Taoism, I I, should, I really mean the whole Chinese magic because not all of it is Taoism, by the way. Okay, right. I, I was going to ask you a tough question, another one, um, but maybe you can give at least for what we are talking about here. Um, can you give us a bit of a definition of Taoism, or maybe a, a circumference how far we go in what we discuss here? Okay. Right, so Taoism is, um, now how do I explain silence? Um, <laughs> That's a Zen question. <laughs> it is. Right. Okay, right, maybe it's best to give a historical, a slight history to Yeah, probably, so, yeah. Okay, right, so Taoism as we know it today has three, um, three major expressions. The first expression is the one we all know in the West, and it's not real. Okay, it was developed by Jesuits who went to China and said, "Oh, we like this Chinese philosophy and this Confucius guy and that kind of thing." Right. And Laozi, you know, they start translating books and created a a sinology, which is the scientific study of yeah. Chinese things, and um, and they they created this false philosophical school of Taoism which never really existed so completely western invention by guys like Thomas Cleary and others orientalism in its pure sense yes yeah in the the same way that there was an intellectual um, tantra which didn't really exist kind of developed um, by western people as a western idea which is not wrong by the way um, I'm really open-minded about these things. Mm. I think if it has to develop in that way, then that's good. You know, it's, it has a reason also why yes, it did. Yeah, 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 it has a synthesis with other things. is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, so, um, so there's that philosophical Taoism that everyone knows. You know, and it's been expressed in you know, like the Tao of Pooh and things like that. These popular books on Taoism. Sure. Um, the sort of Taoism that people think of. Oh yeah, all they need to do is sit down and do nothing. You know, um, you know that kind of thing. But if you take that idea to China, people will probably put their hand to their mouth and with a slight giggle, because it doesn't exist there. When you go to, when you look at Taoism in China, it has a lot of magic. Um, it has serious philosophical study, obviously, as a foundation. Um, its own Kabbalah, if you like. Um, with which to understand the universe and man and its relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's internal meditations to understand this as well. Um, and this is going beyond things like Qigong or I Ching, which is what most Westerners think of when they think of Taoism or Chinese spiritual culture. It goes way beyond that um, to almost um, tantric practices. 
are covered, magical practices, um, dare I say, sorceress practices. You know, these are right. all popular in, popular in China. Um, When you say sorcerer, then you mean that's something that's related to our Result, witchcraft side. Yeah, yes, results yes, magic. Results magic, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now, that's what most people in China and Malaysia will understand as Taoism. Now, in China itself, to go back to China, before there was the Asian dis diaspora, um, diaspora to Malaysia, Vietnam, Thailand, all these places, and eventually America and Europe, obviously. Um, the, you could basically put Taoism into two factions. You had the northern lot and the, southern, and the southern branch. Now, the northern branches were more philosophical. They're, they're, they're the ones that you'd be more familiar with, you know, doing the Qigong, um, trying, to, trying to attain some kind of immortality. Okay. Um, and that, then you have the Southern group, which were more about, yes, they had the immortality part, but they were more the, <clears throat> excuse me, about the magical part, you know, the, the exorcisms, the, uh, the, um, the shamanic side, if you like, right. communicating with the spirit right. world. Um, Mao Shan combines those two threads together, so it has the the medical and the qigong, and the alchemical and the search for immortality and the philosophy side combined with what I would call the shamanic spirit world side, which which includes um, contact with the dead, um, mm -hmm. working with spirits journey ecstatic journeys to the underworld and the upper worlds and so on and okay. that is, that, that's and seeing how those things behind um our reality affect our reality if you see if you get what i mean so when you're when you're talking about those three worlds i mean unfortunately in in the shamanism practices here in the western uh, hemisphere um i'm not talking about the, the native practices i'm talking sure. about the practitioner practices right in yeah. the way it's being done those three worlds in shamanism are not really respected anymore especially um, the upper world funny enough we like to go to to the other world but not to the yeah. upper world in shamanism um but would you still would you would you see shamanistic roots in this form of Taoism that you just explained, the sub or southern type? Yes. Um, in fact, can that it. be compared to shamanism? We know it is. Um, historically speaking, there was a guy who really founded... Now, let's, let's take it way back, okay, to the Shang dynasty. Let's say, if you, mm -hmm. if you can't throw your what, mind back. What, what years are we talking about? Oh, it must be about uh, 3000 BC. Maybe okay. up to oh, I forget my dates, but it's a it's a long time ago. Uh, very early, very early. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so if you go back to the Shang Dynasty, you're starting off with um, shamans. Um, okay. They, you know, their role was to yeah, as as all shamans are. Their role was to um, act as mediators between. The people and their and sometimes their problems like in childbirth, disease, sickness, with the crops, the fishing, and the floods, of course, which are a big problem in China. Um, 
and and the spirit world. Um, right. That was the main function. They're called woo, woo shamans. And they use a lot of the techniques that uh, you'd recognize today. Um, song, dance, colorful clothes, mirror, looking into mirrors and dreams, that kind of thing. They, this all, they this also all, have a role of, of, of linking past to present, like some shamanistic uh, um, schools have it in the West. Yes. I mean, ancestors, ancestors, I mean, by past, of course. Yeah, of course. Some ancestors are, are, are a real fundamental root of um, all Chinese magic. You know, right. if there's no ancestors, you have no power. Mm -hmm. It's simple as that. You, they, the way the Chinese look at it is you have a... You are an individual, obviously, but also you are not, right? Because that's an illusion of time and space. Actually, you're an extension of your family, which goes back generations. You know, you're another expression of that line. So to, so to cut yourself off from your ancestors is to lose a huge reservoir of accumulated knowledge and wisdom and power. If that makes and any sense. That practice is still present in Chinese yeah. Taoism. E even in even in the back of a Chinese restaurant, you'll see a, a a small altar to one's ancestors. Sure, yeah, definitely, definitely. Still, two more questions about that that Taoism separation of two schools. When when we Westerners practice Qigong or those those schools, but I mean in the serious way. I, I don't yeah, mean sure. uh, some some street vendors, right? But the serious way. Would that be also something that you would relate to that traditional Taoism as you experience it in China? Is that something? Yeah, I mean, or is it just. It depends. Extracted to be it, it, separately. It really depends on the teacher. Mm. Okay. Right. Um, so um, it depends what you want. If you want, if you just want good health, you know, and uh, to be able to look good in the bedroom, then your standard qigong without that spiritual element, element is fine. Uh, It's like power yoga instead of yeah, yeah, uh, I, proper yoga, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you just strap on the, you know, leotard and head down to your qigong center and, yeah. and look good. And that's okay, that's, that's okay, that's good. It's better than nothing. Sure. But there is a more spiritual side to qigong. Now, I just want, I just want to put this in context, actually. Qigong is a medical practice. Right. It's for health and fitness. Okay. It's for becoming, uh, for healing your body. And if you have a great ability, maybe healing others too, um, with the universal breath. Okay. Chi. Sure. Yeah. Chi. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, obviously we know it in, in magic to Western magic is what I mean. You might even want to call it vril or something. I don't know. So, yeah. Um, or car, whatever. Yeah, yeah, prana, you know, right. Um, exactly. Right. So, um, so the the and there's also neigong, which is a different kettle of fish. Okay. Um, now neigong is the is alchemy, something which you as a hermeticist will have a lot of respect for. 
Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you got your qigong. That's your low. That's that's a low grade spin off from alchemy. Okay. okay. It's a medical practice. Then you have neigong, which is a spiritual practice. That's the alchemy, which in essence works with. Um, essentially um, lower energies rising them to a higher to achieve immortality let's not let's not let's cut to the chase okay um, that's what it's about and that's not what you're going to go and learn in your local community center I'm sure I, I be, uh, completely honest I heard the the term Nigong the first time when I read your books right I, I right. had not heard about it before um, but um, you just mentioned immortality as its final aim, which is, of course, the same also as the aim of, of, of a spiritual alchemy, of course. And it's is also, it yeah. also a transcendent way of seeing that immortality? Yes. Uh, or, or how does Nigong view the immortality approach? Yeah, you, it's right. Okay, Nigong at first sounds very physical because obviously you're building a spiritual body, which is what the real immortality is. It's not becoming physically immortal, which is like sure. a big mistake that people make when they read, read these Chinese stories, you know, um, about mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the immortals, the xian they're called. It's about creating a spiritual body which can be conscious and be strong enough to survive post-mortem trauma. And does it does that play again into the ancestral situation that we just mentioned before, or is that something that's not really related right. there? It can and it can't because at this point you're beyond that kind of thing. You've transcended this kind of polarity. Mm. Um, now the, the teachings are really complicated in a sense. An hour is not long enough. Sure, but but essentially. Um, when most people die, it's an unconscious death. And we call that the yin death. Okay. And even though you know, their energies are there and they're still present and they can still love us and that kind of thing, um, they are not yet, they don't have a yang presence. Does that make sense? Uh, it does to me. Maybe you could expand a little more for, for the general audience here. Right. So... There are two. Um, so when most people die, um, they they only have a yin presence, um, which means that it's a negative presence, an unconscious. They may not even um, they may they still live in a even when they're dead. I know it's ironic. They live in a kind of um, existence which hasn't transcended to full conscious living even after death. We call that the yin state. Right. Right. The yang state is when someone dies and they have enough individuality of ego to survive death and merge and, and merge with the Tao. <laughs> so it's not a selfish thing either. So right. I'll just make that clear. Right. It's not like um, a selfish ego, you know, 
wanting to even though I'm sure that can happen actually but sure. that's not the more you explain that I must say the more it reminds me of hermetic teachings actually well yes because it's the same definitely right let's take a little break now as we do usually and we'll come back with the second part of the interview after a piece of music um, before that I am sure well I am sure yes that I have not promised you too much and um, I don't usually add that particularly but here I'd like to say do go on uh, the website of that uh, of, of where you find Jason Reed's books of Mandrake of Oxford of course the link will be on the show notes because um, Mark Morgan who as I said earlier suggested me to invite uh, Jason he does a wonderful job there but you should really get those books by Jason who, which are there um, and go in there um, you will be surprised I, I was myself I'm usually not so much um, into I don't know much about to be honest um, Eastern traditions Eastern magic and it was a real discovery for me to see uh, how much is different how much is similar and one of those moments where you realize that wherever you are in the world the final point is always the one right well that's hermetic knowledge of course right let's go to Isu and Trace. they are called yes and their next piece of music that female death metal rock or melodic death metal rock uh, next one is more melodic actually um from tokyo japan and from their uh from their daybreak 2011 uh ep that they released back then and uh, the next uh, track from the last daybreak is called oh thank you this is in english be naked uh, we all understand that so we are gonna hear be naked uh, by exist track and then we are gonna hear um, the second part of the interview after which our Tokyo ladies will return and play the third and last track that I have chosen for you for today will perform I feel you for you okay so once again, first we hear Be Naked, then we are going to meet back with Jason Reed for the second part of the interview. And after that, it'll be I Feel You once again by Exist Trace. <laughs>
so yeah i think in the hermeticism you'd probably call it like the robes of light or something like that i think i remember reading the orgiades and things like this yeah Mm -hmm. um same thing you know that's why we can help each other achieve these goals and not think oh you're chinese you were in a chinese system and you're in a um egyptian they call it greco-egyptian system you know yeah exactly Exactly. it's silly (laughs) Right. Well, that, 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 there we are again with the crossover. <laughs> That's the 21st century's word. I don't really like it, but I just use it myself. But right. the, the, the bridge building, right? Um, uh, just before we go into that, is, is another bridge, is the Tibetan Bön tradition also yeah. related to that Southern Taoist? Uh, Not really, but they just developed along similar lines. You know, because, yeah, because it reminds me a bit of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there are those similarities there. Yeah, um, I mean, but I think anyone who's dealing with the spirit world is going to have similarities of practice because that's all you can sure. do. <laughs> you know, sure, right. sure. Now, and um, that brings me to that other question that I had because um, you were just mentioning Egyptian, Greek, or Egyptian. Of course, most of the things that happened were happening in Hellenism in the Western tradition. Sure. So that was automatically the Greek or uh, Macedonian Egyptian connection. Sure. And that extended at some point very much into the East as yeah. far as the Ganges Valley. Um, and probably you, beyond. Do, and uh, you've got probably beyond that, as well. Exactly. I mean, we, that's we what found, we know for we sure. Found, we found Persian coins in, um, you know, in the middle of China, you know. There really. were, there, um, the Tang Dynasty, you know, it had... Uh, Western, you know, Western people and Persians in the court, you know. Is there any proof or if there isn't, do you still believe that there has been a transfer of spiritual practice and knowledge during that period, which might have influenced uh, each other mutually? No, I don't have any proof of that at all. I'd like to find some, though. Right, but, yeah, I'm sure. Um But even if there, even if there is no direct link, um, I would say that the fact that two on the surface apparently completely different systems are actually doing the same thing and at times using the same terminology once you've translated it goes to show you that uh, there is a greater truth that mankind is and womankind is yeah. is chasing for pursuing definitely definitely mm-hmm. let's come down to the material world a bit again um, talking about your books you uh, have so far if I re- I'm correct you have so far released two of those That's small volumes um, as I said earlier they are called Fox Magic and Thunder Magic I believe Thunder Magic was the first one right and, and Fox Magic the, the second and um It, it says in, in, in one of them, I think it was the it was the it was the first that this is the Chinese, yes, here it is. Chinese magic series that's open. That's correct. That little volume. And also what struck me, but maybe that might be a next question already, on the on the cover of the volume it says Sandra Magic with a C. And then the Chinese magic series on the inside, you write them in with a C K. So you might want to explain why, because I'm okay. sure you don't you're not I, 
doing that without purpose. Okay, I am doing it with purpose because I like um, good old the beast, my own countryman said, you know, he wanted to distinguish um, magic and magic. Mm-hmm. One is a, a pro, you know, a, one, I suppose, was defined as, you know, what, either what David Copperfield would be doing, you know, sort of right. like, you know, uh, walking through walls and that sort of thing. And magic with a K, which is an initiated tradition of... Yeah, there is illusionism in a way, in yeah. what we can call it, yes, or right. stage magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was making that differentiation by using that K. And it's also a nod and a wink to my own roots, you know, I would have thought so. my ancestors, if you like, you know, in this tradition. Because I learned that's a lot. something that, that strikes me when I read the book um, that um, you seem to pull people in in a very good way by using, at least in the beginning, terminology that a Western occultist might be very used to. And I think that makes your book a very interesting and and and. Uh, good read in a sense for a Westerner because um, sure. you don't feel completely lost like you might yeah. be in the purely Eastern literature at first. Sure, because um, Chinese magic is very practical and it's done this for a long time. Um, so, for example, the Mao Shan tradition, it starts started off in Sichuan in China, mm-hmm. which is in South um is it's in southern China and from there for reasons of work and or persecution um, the many of the Chinese people went to other countries like in Malaysia and Thailand mm. where uh, Mao Shan adapted to the local um, traditions so I learned a Malaysian Mao Shan which actually has Malaysian, Malaysian shamanic traditions embedded in it uh, magic from Thailand embedded in it and that sort of thing and it's you know so it's a practical organic synthetic tradition just like the Hermetica right right and I use these terms sometimes they're not exact you know, like I might talk about Ling Shen being similar to the astral body. There is a similarity there. They're both affected by the stars or stellar forces or forces represented by them anyway. And um, so the terms aren't always exact, but it does give a, an access for um, a mind which has been trained in Western magic to more fully understand Chinese magical concepts more profoundly and more quickly. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to compare Mao Shan to other strains of Chinese magic? Um, uh, Or is this the the major strain or is it the strain that you know best? It's it's a strain. There are many others. There's like Mao Mao Shan, just one school. You know, right? Um, in the same way, like like in the West, 
you know, mm. you can have, you can be a Wiccan, you can be a, um, but there are lots of kinds of Wiccans, right? Like Alexandrians. Of course. Guardianarians yeah. and, you yes, know. Yes, exactly. Um, other ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't tell me about it. Don't mind. Um, um, and then you've you got um, Western strains, you know, so you've got like, Golden Dawnham, um, various shoot offs, um, OTO, who, oops, oops. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Calif, you know, which have got, yeah. uh, I shouldn't say this, they've got many branches and um, right. um, there's, there's many others I can't think of right now. Sure. Freemasonry, um, one of them, yes. Oh, yeah, Freemasonry, you've got lots. Sure. Like, they've got the Scottish and the, you know, the, and so on. Um, so, but basically, um, it's the same situation in China. Um, that there's differences, and there's but the there's more similarities and differences. Yeah. Right, right, and also there, of course, things in the end get together, come together yeah. at a certain point, which is beyond, beyond. Exactly. Else. Exactly. So. Um, so the two books, I should explain those a little bit, shouldn't I? Yes, please. Right. right. These are two satellite books um, which are introducing gradually, if you like, um, Chinese magical concepts. Now, the idea behind these books is not so much that a Western magician, say, who's uh, steeped in sort of astrological renaissance magic or something, drops everything. But he may find a few tools which you think a few ideas, a few patterns they can apply to his own work, which is partly the reason why. And there will be some people who want to take it all on board. In fact, we have a small school in in London, actually, which... Okay. Um, but we're not recruiting. Uh, this is not an advert where we, where we disseminate and teach certain people. And some of them are Chinese, in fact, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... So one difference, though, between Western and Chinese magic is a historical difference, which means we have a lineage unbroken. We weren't interrupted by, uh, you know, uh, intellectual movements or Christianity, you know, which had a... Um, we weren't driven underground so much where we have to mm-hmm. put everything into such complex symbolism that it's hard to understand, like some of the alchemical texts, you know, Absolutely. which I poured over. I, I know I've been there, you know, um, trying to understand um, sort of like the Book of Lamb Spring or something and trying to eke out the meaning, which I still do, by the way, just because I do. Right, yeah, right. Just because I'm primarily a Mao Shan magician doesn't mean I close my eyes, you know. Um, sure. Sure. So, um, so the so we have some original patterns that I think we can give back to Western magic. For example, I think there should be a more closer connection with one's ancestors, which is which is hinted at in Agrippa, you know, three books of occult philosophy, and and in the. Um, even plot Plotinus hints at it. The connection with your ancestors was a normal, was such a normal thing in ancient Greece and Egypt. Yeah, of course, that it was part of, of everyday part of everyday life. So this is one aspect which I think most Western magicians could um, strengthen their practice a little bit more, and they 
and they won't be um, they won't regret that they did uh, I couldn't agree more because what sometimes I feel really missing in the Western traditions um, is that the holistic view of it is not there anymore. As you say, if you are not uh, practicing traditional witchcraft, the ancestor part uh, is left aside um, or also the geographical part where in the land am yeah, I? Exactly. I think that's just as much important or even well, yeah. just as much important well, for, for, the, for the ceremonial magician uh, as it is well, for the, for the witch. Yeah, I'd like, to draw, I'd like to draw attention to that part about the, the, our environment, actually, which is really important yeah. because you're living off it. Okay, you are yeah. part of it. You yes. know, you are part of your ancestors, whether you like it or not. Hey, DNA anyone? Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that didn't just spring out of the clouds. All right. So we have the idea of feng shui, uh, which is, it literally means wind and water. Um, but so did the Egyptians and the Greeks and everyone else, you know, who built standing stones to tap on. Um, I hate to use this word, so it's a bit cringeworthy. Ley lines, right? Because yeah, but yeah, yeah sure. Dragon, dragon lines, as we dragon call lines, them, and yeah. as the ancients called them too. Uh, so you, so look at the myth of say Apollo. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a, a land which is dying. It's a giant serpent which is out of control, and he goes there and he spears the python. And everything's back to normal and he puts an oracle there into yeah. contact with the sp yeah. spirits of the earth. Yeah. And there's a bit of feng shui symbolism for you. Absolutely. I have a question there for you, yeah. which, which um, is maybe not typically related to the topic we have here on the Chinese magic. But as we are, as, as we are touching that more widely at the moment, um, of course, in our society in the 21st century, people are much less bound to the land. The society has become much more moving, um, if that's good or bad. I'm not judging that at all. I'm sure. just saying it's a fact. Um, and therefore, maybe the connection to the land, I like that expression, um, is, is um, more difficult or seems to them less important. But uh, I think I see it differently. I see it as more of a challenge because even though you're moving every other year, you have to know where you are at the very moment that you do your magic. How do you see that? What's your point? on that there's a changing landscape of the earth well in well look, we can look at it in two ways one it's our job you know as magicians to be guardians of the earth mm. you know simple as that and to educate people about the earth and also to work with the earth I mean, any magician worth their salt would be in contact with their genii loci, I believe you would call it in the Western magic. We'd call it 2D. Okay. Um, you're not going to get a lot of magic done without that contact because it won't manifest on the earth plane. So yep. that's what they teach in Mao Shan anyway. Um, with every spell we do, we start off with an invocation to 2D, which is like the earth spirit. It's just to put that in yep. context. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, nothing will happen. It won't happen here anyway. Right. Um, so, um, so how do I deal with these things? Well, 
yes, we have cities and um, we, we've broken off from time and everything, but it hasn't broken off from us. And if you look at cities, there's another way of looking at it. You've got buildings, which are mountains, roads, which are rivers. So there's another way to look at your city landscape, um, which is something you learn in feng shui, obviously. I mean, water just represents going from A to B, motion. Yun is called in Chinese. It's the same idea with roads and paths and footpaths and this kind of thing. So whatever patterns that you learn from the earth, you can apply to any environment. And that's another very, way. Very, that's a very interesting approach, actually. That's yeah, well, the, Egypt, the Egyptians did. and They weren't building pyramids for nothing. And people weren't building Stonehenge for no reason. Of right? course. They of knew course. how... Mm, they were creating but probably most of those people were living in the same county for their 50 years they had to live and yeah. and and so their awareness of of the local situation sure. was higher yeah so in, if, if that is a worry for people who travel i i do a lot of business too so i travel sure. a lot i usually my my first thing i do when i get there is orientate myself to the spirit of the place and you'll find you'll get on a lot better with wherever you're tra- wherever you and travel that's to. what I meant. I think in yeah. our duty then, if we are moving every other year, that we have to find the spirit of that new place again yeah. in and order it, to do magic, and it, right? And it always has a different feel, huh? Absolutely. You know, um, Even I, I mean, personal experience, I moved houses about six or seven months ago, and it took me after having overcome the whole stress with moving and packing and everything, it took me about, after that, about two or three months to relocate myself magically to where I am now. And now I feel home again. And if you don't do that, something is missing, I suppose. Yeah, it's really important to get to, it's like uh, getting married, basically, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. To a new environment. Definitely, but we we look that too often. You're going to soak up its energies. Um, you're going to work your magic there. You're going to eat. Well, nowadays you don't eat food grown from there, but it's possibly you could, at least locally, you know. But, um, so it's really important to know the spirit of, of your location. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you were mentioning the earth and water rivers uh, just before. Of course, that brings me to an important point, especially working in the hermetic arts. To, uh, the, the four elements and the elemental magic is something that is very important to the Western tradition. And, and to at first sight, exactly. And at first sight, the Chinese elemental system looks different because it has five elements. Uh, well, it has in the West. But so does the Western, system. really. Exactly. I was going to say, <laughs> we had five too, but in a different approach. But how do those two elemental systems, in your point of view, work together? Are they the same? Are they similar or are they very different? Okay, this is a tough question. I like tough okay. questions. There's, there's, dif- there's, di- there's differences, differences and similarities. Now, for starters, the, the Western, uh, the, um, forgive me, the Eastern elements, are, they're called the Wuxing. Mm-hmm. Right? This is translated as five elements, which is wrong. Okay. It actually means it's closer to five forms, which implies five forms of transformation, change, mm-hmm. mutability. So what it's looking at is a cycle of change from one point 
uh, to another point. And this relates to time and space. And some of and different areas of time and space during a particular moment of change has a particular kind of vibration or motion or however you want to put it, which is symbolized by the element. Okay, that's almost al alchemical again. Yes. Um, so so it's is, a concept of elements that is different than exactly not the elements yeah. themselves, right? Right. There's a Greek element system where it kind of comes from, I guess, Plato and others, actually is pretty much the same. It's related yeah. to time and space, geometry. Um, um, if you read, uh, I said, I forgot which one it's, is it Timaeus, maybe? Um, Plato's Timaeus, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Plato's Timaeus, I think, gives a yeah. really good groundwork for any Western occultist to study the elements. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's a good starting point, you know. And you, you, then you'd understand that we're not talking about something static and fixed here. Like um, uh, the usual Western argument is, well, here, here I have a cup and it, the, the, the coffee inside is water, right? Yeah. But the stimulant properties of fire and the, the and there's some truth to that, yes. is, okay. the analogy. And it's similar with the Chinese elements, you know, so it's just a diff slightly different system, but it also fits into the overall Chinese um, it fits into the planets for starters, right? Right. Five well, when you when you when you talk about that, about it, it makes me, of course, think immediately of the work of Peter Kingsley. Who I'm sure you know him, who, sure. who has done a lot of study on that eventual contact between the Western Greek tradition of Plato's time and and. Uh, Mongolian, I think he he he, sure. he talked about Mongolian traditions that at some point might have met in the Hellenistic world, right? Yeah, I can I I can go with that. I mean, um, I've always been on the theory that um, there's a far more, there's far more Eastern elements in um, classical religion and spirituality than has been given credit for. Uh, probably been covered by that Orientalism and yeah. Christian expansion that happened later, right? Yeah, I think it was the one of the Romans, I forget who said it, who was complaining that the Orientis is pouring into the Tiber. Yeah, man. Okay. He was complaining there's too much Eastern philosophy pouring into Rome at the time. Right. But it's just going to show you how much, how much was going on. Yeah. Um, so you had the... Um, for example, Dionysius is a bit close to Shiva for ones, you know, for some people mm -hmm. like him sure, yeah. and so on, you know, so. Um, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Um, so talking about those books again, as, sure. as you said, or as we said, it is part of a, of a whole series of books that should yeah. come with time and as I also said I have here a, a manuscript uh, Practical Chinese Magic it's called that seems to be ready to be published are we going to see that soon? What, what's your plans in, in yeah, that respect? You, you, will, you will see it soon 
Okay, uh, this is this will give the, people more. Um, uh, I'd like to, but that's up to Mog. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, Mo- it'll come Mog, who, who from Mandrake, who was also that's my correct. guest a few months ago. Yeah, he's a yes, great, yeah. he's a great guy. Um, I was an unknown author, and he, you know, gave me the chance to share this knowledge with people. Well, Mog is probably one of those who has the best ears and eyes in in the publishing world for right for new talent and he's certainly right about you right so the reason we i want to get this book out there it does cover some things that may be a bit more alien to west magic like um the idea of the big dipper is implied in a lot of you know the plow yeah um it's implied in a lot of material from you know ancient egypt i'm not sure about greece um um more Egypt probably yes yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's implied there a lot but there's nothing being done about it um so I think there's a lot of information in the new book um which can really be- uh, who who do you aim for with that book it's a bit hard for me to tell because of course my my central interest goes into that hermetic world sure. as you know and so i feel many of the things that you say in that book to come uh, through that eye and so uh, it is not completely strange to me i just see it from a different angle which is sure. perfect which is very interesting uh, is that a necessary approach you have to take or when somebody has a different or a l- less ancient i'm 61 so i had time a sure. less ancient approach that than 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 myself uh, how does he approach or he or she approach your book and what will he and she find in it i think that's a personal journey what does any book give us yes. um, what what I'll, i mean partly it's you know good books you know changing with with your understanding and time you know and with practice hopefully you know mm-hmm. um, so why what, what i'd really like is to produce a series of books which gives an honest appraisal And and I have to say, a lot of authors haven't been honest um, in this area of hiding this tradition, these kinds of traditions from Western people. Why do you give, think that happened? Um, same reason why Kung Fu wasn't being taught in the, you know, in the 1960s. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think you have to t- tell the reason because many of our people are too young okay. to know what happened then. Well, this will illustrate it. Um, part um, some areas of the Taoist community would not want um, some of the information out there because they feel it. A, it's too uh, too sorcerous, you know, but it, it reflects the honest practices of um, da- of Chinese and Taoist magic in Malaysia, China, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a, a fear of of cultural appropriation, you know, um, which is understandable, but that's not the aim of this book. Yeah, I think that. Um, I think it would be harmful, though, to take stock Chinese symbols and use them in your practice out of context. But if you did the system itself as a whole, that's good. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the skillful magician will look at the essence of the technique and apply that to his own practice. So, I see, yeah. Do you, yeah. Did you understand what I mean? I right. think so. I right, think okay. so, yeah. Right. Sometimes I can be a bit... I'm not used to public speaking uh, as, no, of, no, no. as of late. It's, so. it's very clear if you have a little bit of background, and I may say most of the people listening here have a very good background. So okay, I'm excellent. sure. I'm, I'm sure, sure, sure it's. I'm sure I'm that sure most of them have better backgrounds than I have. Uh, no, no, don't be too modest. Don't be too modest. <laughs> um, Right. Well, you just mentioned Kung Fu. I have to ask you this. It might be like a cliche question now, but um, are you yourself also into martial arts? Uh, yeah, that's one reason I start. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the reasons. Actually, my parents were Kung Fu instructors. Ah, you know? okay. So maybe that. So there's part of a reason why I was into Asian culture at a very young age. Um, and um, so... I've always had that around me, you know. And uh, is that an important part also t- uh, in regards to your spiritual and magical practice or is it just an extra? For me, it's an extra. Um, I don't feel it's necessary to... Um, well, uh, well, the Kung Fu is in martial arts... Um, there's got a lot of bad press in the West because people yeah. think I people either think of it as some un, some people are so obsessed with it all they think about is fighting and they go around with this really aggressive attitude which I don't that's like. why I said it's a cliche question exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah and I find it really annoying the Chinese have a saying is when a martial artist smells too much of martial arts yeah, which means that's all they think about, you know, and, yeah. you know, when in, and actually that's not really the role of Chinese martial arts. No. The role yeah. is the battle with yourself, not other mm-hmm. people. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't like some of the mentality that goes with uh, modern expressions of martial arts, even though I do love martial arts myself. I can I can see what you mean. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, so, well, we are unfortunately because we could go on for long. We are unfortunately already approaching the end of that talk. But before I let you go, Jason, um, if somebody who listened to this show or who you read your books and said, "Hmm, I I've practiced Western magic so far, Western tradition so far, but I would like to know." and do more about uh, the Chinese tradition. What do you suggest to that person to take as first steps? Uh, Is it something that you can do alone? Do you need somebody like you had to to go along with you on that path? What what would be the right choice for someone? Okay, right. I can give you the stock answer and say that you need a master. But I think this is the 21st century, and I don't think you do. Um, Not in the sense that, you know, you had to sit outside a temple for 12 hours and, you know, do the master, you know, wash the master's underwear before he teaches you anything. You know, that sort of thing. The famous famous tea cup thing, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. So... um, I think there there has been a change in the way things should be done. Um, we're, you're, we're not in China, 
okay. Um, and we're not in the Tang dynasty. I think that um, a little guidance obviously is essential. Okay. But um, if they're really interested, um, they can, A, um, biased opinion, read my books, especially the next one coming out because that will cover the fundamentals. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so that will cover the basics, the worldview, the Chinese, inverted commas, Kabbalah, you know, so you've got a, a kind of co- psychocosmogram of understanding reality and self and how it relates. Mm-hmm. And then some applied practices, okay, right. as in the Chinese tradition. So your books uh, are more than the teaser, they are a, a manual, right? Yes. Um, I, I don't believe in um, philosophical, um, too much, actually I do love philosophy, but I don't want to give too much philosophical um, talk, but teach people how to do Right. which is the idea of the book even though I give enough philosophy to, to, to be understood the philosophy can be studied in other things like Tao Te Ching and things like that I Ching but what I want to do is is give methods because there's been too much talk already rather like these climate change meetings we've been having in Britain today yeah. <laughs> yeah. too much of this and not enough of yeah doing yeah. it yeah and they, they can also contact me personally on my email um, which of course we'll put into the show notes of yeah. this of this time and I will, I, I will answer every email and every question and we do run a small private group and if they're interested in that they're, they're welcome to join providing they've got enough interest um, mm-hmm. and if they're outside the UK they can always write to you and you yes yeah we we have we, we do do private zoom meetings and things like that so um so we, we don't expect to give you material and then expect you to you know say bye we, we would be there to help okay great sounds but all the work is by yourself we can't do that for you so you people out there if you're interested go and also buy those two books that are already available because that will push Mog also to go ahead fast with the release of the next book yes I hope so he doesn't need to be pushed but we have all have economic constraints yeah, he's on holiday in Wales at the moment lucky ah okay well uh, actually he, he was very kind he wrote back to me tonight so I didn't know he was on holiday <laughs> he's a good okay, man okay but that's chitty chat now um, Jason It was a wonderful, wonderful 68 minutes now in your wow. company. Wow. And um, I really enjoyed that. And I'm sure our audience did as well. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for being with us here today. Uh, you're and, very welcome. And good luck for, for all the future work that you're doing. Any, any final word for our audience? Um, you know, uh, we're coming up to a new new year. Everyone keeps safe, you know. Um, yeah. um, and uh, again, if you want to contact me with any questions, that's perfectly fine. Um, I'm, I'm a very open person, and we, we um, and uh, it's nice to speak to someone without a face mask on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jason, and uh, be well. Thank you, and yourself too.
I Feel You by Exist Trace, or if you prefer their Japanese name, Igotsizuto Toreisu, a Japanese visual key rock band composed exclusively by female members. I think they have ceased existing, but this was from their The Last Daybreak, released 10 years ago. I hope you enjoyed. Right, um, Jason, thank you so much for being with us here today. It was lovely to have you here on this show for our interview. And uh, once again, I personally learned a lot from that interview and from my encounter with Jason, who is next to his high knowledge and interesting things he has to say, a lovely chap. Thanks so much. And dwell what's going to happen next week. You're all expecting you know that, aren't you? Right. So next week is going to be a, a kind of a special episode because, um, well, it's a regular episode on Sunday, as always. Um, but uh, you remember back in September, I did a live uh, recording, a live event for just the Patreon members. And they were able to see and hear, because that was also on video with a special link they received, my two guests. Two guests because I called that a trio because I invited someone who I've done a lot of podcasts with as a co-host and this time I invited him to be my co-host and we decided together who we should have as our guest. And so you will have me as the host, you will have my good friend Greg Kaminsky from Occult of Personality as the co-host and our common guest and well more than that he's a friend we both share is Chuck Dunning. Chuck Dunning, who has done a lot about meditation, contemplation within the Masonic context, but not exclusively, of course, in the Masonic context. So he has recently released his second book on that subject. We'll hear more about that uh, next week. So um, do join us again. And by the way, for all you Patreon members listening to this, of course, this was your special event back then in September. I think not many of you actually attended. I had a bit of a hard time to find out. But um, uh, anyway, in this week, we presented just in audio. And uh, to all of you, but of course, you patron members, you are not going to be charged for that. Right? Okay. So it's the chance to become a patron because in the first week, you won't even be charged. A free episode, even if you join now. How does that sound? That's the moment to become a patron. Okay, well, that's all for today. Uh, see you all, hopefully, next week. And um, we'll be very happy to have you back uh, on the 28th of November or after that. And for today, I can only say, take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.